It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Now that MLB's hot stove has turned up the heat a little bit, which prospects got burned by this week's moves? Let's talk about it. You are Locked On MLB Prospects, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, welcome on in to Locked on MLB Prospects, your home for all things minor league baseball. I'm your host, Lindsey Crosby, award-winning baseball writer and podcaster. Thank you for making this your first listen every single day. We're probably part of the Locked on Podcast Network, where it's your team every day. And today's episode is made possible by our friends at FanDuel. Make every moment more, because right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150. If your team wins, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on to get started. So since transactions started happening towards the end of the winter meetings, we saw Juan Soto get traded. We saw Candelario sign in Cincinnati, things like that. Uh, I've definitely noticed an uptick in questions coming in asking about what all of these moves do to the prospects, the upper minors prospects with those teams. So let's go through a couple different scenarios. Let's talk about New Cincinnati signing Candelario for first base or third base and what that does to potentially a Noel V. Marte or maybe a guy like a CES or a Spencer Steer. Let's talk about Eugenio Suarez in Arizona. Let's talk about the Rule 5 draft and what it did to Cincinnati or the outfielders in Milwaukee. But first, we're going to talk about the New York Yankees because one, it's the New York Yankees. How this works. Obviously, biggest deal of the offseason so far, Juan Soto and Trent Grisham going to the Yankees, and that's after you made the Alex Verdugo trade to go over to the Yankees. So you bring in three outfielders, and most of the questions relating to that deal that I've gotten, other than, hey, tell us about these pitchers that got shipped out, have been about what happens to Jason Dominguez. But I have gotten a couple questions about what happens to Spencer Jones as well. So let's talk about this. In 2024, at least to open the year, if you look at your four outfielders are Aaron Judge, Juan Soto, Alex Verdugo, and Trent Gresham, then what ends up happening is your starters are Verdugo, Judge, and Soto. And in the outfield, the way you align them, this is what's tough because Juan Soto is better in right than left. But he can't play center field. He can, I'm going to say he, he he can play right. He's not great in a corner either. Alex Verdugo is not a center fielder. And so the Yankees are looking at either you have to play Aaron Judge more in center or you have to put Trent Grisham in center and then move, take off, take Verdugo off the field and have lesser offense because Giancarlo Stanton has been trenched as your DH despite the reports coming out of winter meetings that he's been losing some weight and is going to be slimmer. He's not going to be playing a lot of outfield for you. And it's it's really interesting what happens to Aaron Judge here because if you think about what some other folks are doing, Bryce Harper is moving from the outfield to first base on a kind of a permanent basis. Mookie Betts is moving not permanently, but 
majority of the time is moving into second base, which he was drafted originally as an infielder and kicked out to the outfield because of Dustin Pedroia. And so you've got those two guys who are similar in age to Aaron Judge. They're moving to less premium defensive positions that will put less stress on their body. And Aaron Judge is doing the opposite. He's moving to a more stressful, as in physically stressful position of center field. And what is that necessarily going to do to his offense? Now, 2022, he played center field, not the entire season, but he did have some of the season played in 22 in center field and still did fine. But to me, this is something where when Jason Dominguez comes back, you're really going to have to figure out, one, is everybody healthy? This may not even be a problem, right? If everybody's, if somebody is not healthy, you've got additional spots where you can slot Dominguez in, let him play center field, provided his arm is strong, is healthy enough to make the throws, and you will be good to go. If, uh, if somebody is, if everybody is healthy, that's where you have to figure out what happens. And it's entirely possible if Jason Dominguez is fully healthy when it's time to come up, but some people are injured, I'm sorry, uh, but everybody else is healthy at the major league level, I don't necessarily know how you figure that out right away. Long term, Juan Soto, Alex Verdugo being on this roster are not going to impact Jason Dominguez. In the shorter term, 2025, Trent Grisham will still be under team control. If he's not traded, he will be there. He'll be an ARB3 guy, so he'll be a little bit pricey, but it feels like he's probably going to end up being your your backup to a guy like a Jason Dominguez or an Everson Pereira in 2025. I, I don't think these deals change anything for Jason Dominguez other than if everyone's healthy, you don't have to rush Dominguez back from Tommy John's surgery and reinstall him in center field. Now, they may decide, no, we want to get Jason Dominguez back so we can get Judge out of center. And then that's a conversation of who else loses playtime when we bring when we get Judge out of center. But either way, I don't see it impacting Jason Dominguez that much. Spencer Jones is not going to be impacted by this trade at all, simply because I don't think there was ever a scenario where you were going to see Spencer Jones in New York in 2024. He got 117 games last year, and all but all but 17 of them were in high A. So 17 games in double A Somerset. Low minors, mostly the entire year. 267, 336, 444. For Spencer Jones, he had 16 home runs and 49 extra base hits, which you love to hear that. He had 155 strikeouts, which not so great. To me, Spencer Jones is, he's a top, probably top two prospect in the system. I'm still a believer in Spencer Jones. Again, I hold shares in fantasy. The everydayers have heard me talk about that. But I don't see very many scenarios where Spencer Jones is playing meaningful at-bats in New York in 2024. Because he's a guy where when he was on, he looked fantastic. When he was not, he looked pretty rough. He started off slow, was striking out like 35% of the time early in the year. 
drop that to about 25-26% from middle of the summer through the rest of the year. But it's something where he's still selling out on fastballs. He's a fastball hitter. He's missing breaking balls, specifically below the zone. Really struggles with that. The power's good. Long term, I still don't necessarily know if you keep Spencer Jones in center. It feels like his speed, Aaron Judge's speed, comes from having such long legs and long strides, more so than just absolute burst. And so... I could see a scenario where 2026, you're looking at, or sometime in 25 or 26, you're looking at an outfield of Spencer Jones, Jason Dominguez, Aaron Judge, with Stanton may or may not be around as the DH then. Obviously, you would still have Trent Grisham available, but unless you re-sign Juan Soto, I don't see a scenario where this deal, this transaction, makes things difficult for... Spencer Jones going forward. And if you do re-sign Juan Soto, it feels like you're not going to be carrying both Juan Soto and Giancarlo Stanton. And so Soto would eventually slot into your DH spot and and Jones would be able to get promoted around that time. This might have bigger implications for a guy like an Everson Pereira. I do think he's probably one of, if not the best defender of the three. I think he's got probably the best natural speed and the best arm. But he, I mean, he's probably the guy that is impacted the most simply because they're comfortable playing Dominguez in center. Obviously, Grisham's in center or can play center, can't really hit, but can play center through 2025. If anything, Pereira's impacted the most, Spencer Jones is impacted the least, and Dominguez just has his timeline maybe delayed or accelerated from his recovery based on how it's going in 2024. In just a minute. Remember Candelario signed with the Cincinnati Reds. Let's talk about what that might mean for some of their young guys, specifically Noel Marte. We'll do that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. But first, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at FanDuel. They gave me some copy about the NFL and what's going on and all of that. And right now, that's not what we're here for. Listen, the World Series odds have had a little bit of adjustments and tweaks given the events of this week. The Atlanta Braves are still number one, still favorites for the World Series to win the 2024 World Series at plus 600. The Dodgers right behind them at plus 700. I don't see that changing anytime soon. The number three team in the National League is the Phillies at plus 1,000. In the American League, you've seen a little bit of shuffling towards the top. The Astros plus 850, the Rangers plus 900, Right behind those two teams coming up on the list, Yankees plus 950. Something where, obviously, you've added Juan Soto. The offense is better. You've lost pitching depth, but the assumption is as long as your major league starters can make it through a season, you have a much better offense. So, if you want to get in on these actions, get in with all these futures and things like that, there's no better time to use FanDuel. And if you want some additional ways to make some bets. You can place a $5 money line bet on the NFL. If you win that bet, you will get $150 in bonus bets. Visit fando.com slash locked on. You'll have the app to use. It is the official sports book of the Locked On Podcast Network. Okay, so looking at transactions and how they may have impacted uh, prospects and cause some issues here. I'm looking at 
Candelario, Heimer Candelario signing with the Cincinnati Reds. Three years, $45 million, $15 million average annual value. They have a fourth year club option. $15 million would be in 2027. And so now you're in a really interesting scenario because before the signing, you were already in a situation where it looked like you were going to have too many infielders, right? You've got Ellie De La Cruz, penciled in at shortstop. He wants to play shortstop, obviously. You have Matt McClain at second base. You have Christian Encarnacion Strand at first base. You have uh, Jonathan India, who has been a second baseman, but defensively has never graded out, at I mean, above average at second base. And so a lot of DH reps, you could play him some at first base. You have Spencer Steer, and you had... The look like you were going to have Noel V. Marte as well to spend time at third base. Now you've added Heimer Candelario to this mix. And I still don't necessarily think he's the ideal third baseman. Uh, If I remember this correctly, last year in 2023 in MLB, he had the lowest average arm strength of any third baseman in baseball. And when the Cubs acquired him at the trade deadline from the Nationals, there would be times, and quite often, they would play him at first base over third base. And he was good at first base. He was the best defensive first baseman down the stretch for the Cubs. And so, understanding that, he can play third, but he's better suited to first base, where, again, you have Christian Encarnacion Strand, that means you have some decisions to make. And Noel V. Marte feels like the guy that is first in line to lose in this scenario. He came up a little bit, spent a little bit of time in the majors last year, looked perfectly fine, played shortstop, played some third base. But one, he's dealing with a minor hamstring strain that he got in winter ball. And two... He's the one, again, who's had the least amount of time in the majors. And so if there's anybody who you're going to start in AAA, it feels like Noel V. Marte is that guy. Now, in reality, you could absolutely do this as something where coming out of spring, whichever young guy, Christian Encarnacion Strand, Marte, whoever it was, was struggling the most in spring training, you could have an argument to leave them down. I don't think a Matt McClain's going to be able to get left down. Spencer Steer's not going to be able to. He was a Rookie of the Year finisher getting voting. Elodie La Cruz isn't going to be down. Uh, but even if you assume Spencer Steer is going to be your left fielder, which, I mean, you have to do, he's not great anywhere he plays defensively, but he can get by just about anywhere. That leaves you TJ Friedel in center, Will Benson in right, and then that leaves you like Jake Fraley and Stuart Fairchild on your bench. You're still in a scenario where, depending on where you play Candelario, someone has to hit the bench, right? You could have a situation if Marte makes the team out of spring, he can be at third with Ella De La Cruz at short, with Matt McClain at second, with Candelario at first, India at DH, steer in left field, and now Christian Encarnacion Strand is the extra guy there. You could also have a scenario where CES is at first. That pushes Candelario to third. And then Noel V. Marte is on the bench or again, potentially in AAA. I do think there is 
some runway to do a scenario where you rotate through everybody in the infield gets a day at DH and everybody in the infield gets a day off. Fantasy baseball folks are going to hate it. You want your stars to play every day. A lot of baseball players want to play every day. But I could see where you start off with something like that before someone gets hurt. I was talking to Jeff Carr of Locked On Reds. We were discussing who could potentially move to the outfield if you needed to move someone to the outfield. And we had different ideas. His suggestion was Christian Encarnacion Strand in right. Something where, uh, one, he's played two games there. He got a game in left in Louisville and a game in right in Louisville last year before he came up. He has a cannon for an arm, and so it would profile as a right fielder. My counter was his speed isn't necessarily that great. Christian Encarnacion Strand's speed, CES's speed, is considered to be probably a 40 or so grade, whereas Noel V. Marte, his range doesn't come out great, but he does have a plus arm. It's not as big as CES's, but he does have a plus arm, and his speed is better. Uh, if I remember right, looking at StatCast, Noel V. Marte's speed was in the 90th percentile. Now, it doesn't translate to range at shortstop or third base, which comes back to a pit to a a recognition issue, a reads, routes, reactions issue, but the actual speed itself is there. So you've got a couple options, and I think it's going to be interesting to watch what they do to start spring training. I would say watch what Marte's doing in winter ball, but again, the hamstring strain means they're probably not going to push him too much or ask him to do too much unfamiliar stuff in, in winter ball. But it's going to be really interesting to watch and see what they do when spring training opens to figure out who in this group of talented infielders has to change positions and or lose playing time. And there's been some conversations about making trades. Obviously, if you trade a Jonathan India or a Noel V. Marte or a CES or whatever it is, you're still in a situation where somebody has to DH every day. And in that situation, you're only alleviating the issue of keeping a guy on the bench every day until there's an injury. I don't necessarily know if making a trade solely to free up one of these positions is the right thing to do. Again, I can understand if you do something, if you make a trade to improve a different part of the roster and you say, hey, India is expendable or whoever it may be, but I wouldn't make a trade just to free up playtime because... A lot of these guys go into their second year. A lot of second year players have some struggles. You're going to have injury concerns. You're gonna, it's going to work itself out. The question we just have is how? What's it going to do? You're already moving somebody to the left and steer. Uh, are you going to have to move somebody to the right field? Are you going to trade somebody? Somebody going to get hurt? What's going to be the thing that works out the depth first? In just a minute. Couple other situations, Milwaukee, Cleveland, Arizona, want to figure out what they're going to do. We'll talk about that next right here on Locked on MLB Prospects. Welcome back to the Friday edition of Locked on MLB Prospects. Quick reminder, Locked on has launched the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel on YouTube. Locked on Sports Today is here for you 24-7, covering the top sports stories of the day with the local experts of Locked on, plus the national shows covering every league, yes, including this one. So go to Locked on Sports on YouTube, subscribe to the first ever national sports 24-7 streaming channel. 
So looking at some of the other guys who are blocked because of, or could potentially be blocked because of transactions. Back in November, as what we now know has just been a series of salary dumps, the Seattle Mariners traded third baseman Eugenio Suarez to the Diamondbacks in exchange for a backup catcher and a right-handed pitcher, a reliever. And so the issue you have here is Eugenio Suarez is making enough money. I think he's owed like $11 million. He's making enough money where he's going to play almost every day. I think he was one of the four players that played almost every day last year. And so the question now is in your infield, what happens with Geraldo Perdomo and Jordan Lawler's obviously your top prospect. You called him up at the end of the year last year, and he got into just a couple games down the stretch. He started nine games, got in 13 total, but uh, picked up four hits and 31 at-bats, scored two runs, uh, no extra base hits, was one for two on stolen bases, two walks to 11 strikeouts. He's your future at shortstop. He's your star. But Gerardo Perdomo didn't have an awful year. 144 games, he was an all-star. He played second, he played third, he played short. Batted 246, 353, 359. Six home runs, 30 extra base hits, 64 walks to 86 strikeouts, and 16 to 20 on stolen bases. Defensively, he was good. Offensively, the pop wasn't there. But he scored 71 runs. He was able to keep the offense moving, was able to help you score. And and then in the postseason, he statistically, the numbers come out to the same, but it ended up being a little bit of better performance. He batted 275 in the postseason, 14 of 51, two home runs, scored 10 runs in 17 games, stole three bags. And With Eugenio Suarez, a guy that can play every single day, did last year, has really good defense. Yes, he strikes out a ton. One of the reasons the Mariners, the stated reason the Mariners did some of these salary moves was to cut down on swing and miss because Suarez, Teoscar Hernandez, who they non-tendered, Clinic, all these guys were really high on the strikeout numbers. And the real reason is just money. It's a salary dump. But what happens now in the infield? Where do you put everybody? Because Kettle Marte is locked into second base. And I think ultimately what happens here is barring some sort of collapse for Perdomo in spring training, Jordan Lawler starts in the minors. And the reason you can do that, it, there's two reasons really. One is the small sample and the lack of success in that small sample, right? He Again, he was four of 31 with two walks, 11 strikeouts, scored two runs with no extra base hits. It was a slash line of 129, 206, 129. So you can reference that small sample size combined with the fact that he only got 16 games in AAA Reno before he was called up. Now, he did well in those games, 24 of 67, five home runs, six extra base hits, scored uh, scored 18 runs in those 16 games, three or four on stolen bases, nine walks and 12 strikeouts. He did good in that sample. But the point is he only got 16 games in AAA before you called him up last year. And so it's very easy to make the case we're going to have Suarez at third, 
We're going to have Perdomo at short. We're going to have Marte at second. We're going to have Christian Walker at first. And we're going to start Jordan Lawler in AAA. And then the first time you have some sort of significant injury, you have some sort of, of guy who has to miss time for some reason or a significant slump, you can then turn around and call up a Jordan Lawler who should be hitting really well because he's going to be in the Pacific Coast League. And that's what the Pacific Coast League does is just give you insanely inflated offensive numbers. It feels like he's going to be the loser here in the hot stove scenario of Eugenio Suarez moving to Arizona. Interesting one involving the Rule 5 draft. We talked about Devison De Los Santos getting picked up by Cleveland. This is going to be really interesting because this is a Cleveland team that really needs power. They were one of, sorry, they were the worst power hitting team in 2023. And I want to say the top four or five in Atlanta's lineup had more home runs than the entire Cleveland Guardians roster. And you, they went out at the trade deadline when they traded Aaron Savali. They got Kyle Manzardo. You've got, you should have a fully healthy year of Josh Naylor. They added Ramon Laureano off of waivers and they've got him for, I want to say it's two more seasons. You've got some power there. You've got a guy like a Will Brennan on your bench. But the interesting conversation is going to be the two guys to go in the three spots for first base and DH between Kyle Manzardo, Josh Naylor, and Devison De Los Santos. And the hard thing here is Manzardo should be one of those three. But given the contract status of everybody and the requirement to carry Devison De Los Santos on the active roster, because he was a Rule 5 pick, he has to stay on your active roster the entire season or you have to offer him back to Arizona. Josh Naylor's been in the league for four years. He's under five years of service time. He does have options. So you could send him down to the minor leagues. Reminder, the way that works, if a, I think, a, I believe it's, if a guy's had five, has five years of service time and he gets option to the minors, I believe he can just opt for free agency instead. So I may have that slightly wrong. That procedural stuff is I usually pretty good with that, but it is later than I expected it to be when I recorded this pod. So... It feels like Naylor and Devison De Los Santos are going to get the first chances to start the season. And I'm basing this off of the assumption you're not going to carry a guy like Devison De Los Santos as an extra man on the bench and not use him. Feels like if you have him on the roster, he's going to be playing first base or DH almost every day until you figure out whether or not he can hit at the major league level. I asked the question yesterday. How much of the Guardians' good contact ability is them specifically taking guys that can do that? And how much of that is them improving the contact ability of hitters on their team? We will find out when Devison De Los Santos gets major league run. And so if Kyle Manzardo absolutely just rakes in spring and does not, uh, d- does not let you keep him off the roster it's entirely possible that Devison De Los Santos doesn't even break spring training with the team. But if he struggles in any way or just looks ordinary, I can absolutely see a place where they cite his struggles in AAA in 2023, which wouldn't really be fair because it wasn't his fault, but they cite his issues to give him a little bit more time in AAA and they carry 
Naylor and De Los Santos to combine between first base and DH to start 2024. The last situation, it has to do with the Milwaukee Brewers and all of the outfielders they have. I mentioned this when we initially talked about that deal last week, and I said you have seven outfielders on the roster, and something like four or five of them are under the age of 25. Now, at the press conference that we attended during the winter meetings, they said, we like having this depth. Last year, we lost two outfielders on the same day. And so we like having this depth and depth will always work itself out. Soon after that, reports started emerging that teams had reached out to the Brewers to make a trade for one of their outfielders. Operating off of the assumption that Jackson Churio, who you just gave an eight-year, $82 million contract to, assuming that he is on the roster on opening day, it feels like your outfield and DH spot would be some combination of Jackson Churio, Sal Frelick, Christian Yelich, and then somebody in a fourth spot. Is it Tyrone Taylor? Is it Joey Weimer? Is it, Gar- is it Garrett Mitchell? I don't necessarily know. You can keep going with it. Is it Blake Perkins? There's seven different options. And so to me, it makes sense if you're going to trade a shortstop in Willie Adamas and you're going to trade a pitcher in Corbin Burns, you may as well choose one of these outfielders to move. Do you move Garrett Mitchell? He looked the best in the limited views that we got. He had a 446 slug, which was the exact same as Tyrone Taylor. It was better than Sal Frelick's 351. And it was... Better than Joey Weimer's as well. Joey Weimer's entire OPS was like 645 or something. Do you move Mitchell? Do you move sell low on a guy like Weimer or a guy like Frelick? It makes sense you move one of these guys, but either way, a young outfielder under the age of 25 is going to be the loser for the playtime here. Because if you assume they keep five outfielders, means one of them, probably Yelich is your DH, you still have another guy who's going to end up in the minors. Probably a Joey Weimer, again, given his offensive struggles last year. Blake Perkins is probably in that group. I don't really view him as a true prospect anyway, so we'll see what happens. Fantastic week this week. Winter meetings were tons of fun. If you have questions for Monday's mailbag, I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. Show's on Twitter at Locked on Farm. Ton of other ways to reach us. Email, subtext, Discord. It's all in the episode description. It's all in the show notes. We want to hear from you. Until Monday's show, remember, it's always a great time to pay a minor leaguer. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.